And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. No, you know, every once in a while we get around to these kind of woo-woo questions. Um, got another one of those for you today, Aaron. Um, do we each exist in our own universe? Yes and no. <laughs> Simultaneous yes and no. Mm-hmm. We're in a uh, quantum superposition. Yeah. <laughs> the observed and the unobserved states of our own okay. universes. Yes and no. A fairly straightforward answer. Why mm. yes and why no? Yes in the way that it's it's all that we really have in our perception when you think about it is our own our own universe. Like our senses reaching outward to to make sense of, of the universe that's outside of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that sense that's our our own little universe. But then it's connected to a, this universe, this place, mm-hmm. and the other people's universes <laughs> <laughs> that are all around us too. So no, in that sense, we're not in our own little universe. Uh, Star Trek, as we all know, exists in its own little universe. Yeah, um, yeah good to see if Star Trek has anything to say on that because we, um, of course, uh, you're listening to Star Trek Stories. This is episode 35, Remember Me. I am your effusive host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here with my very dear co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Jaron. How are you doing? Well, yes, we have only just started our look at the TNG glory years. Um, last time we watched Brothers, where we were joined by Data's evil twin brother, Lore, and our good friend, Mark Nielsen. And I would say both competed for our ire yeah, we don't have Mark on, fortunately, uh, for this episode. Um, <laughs> um, but we do have a returning guest host for the, uh, today's episode. Um, sitting in the captain's chair, once again, our very good friend Scott Tuckfield is back on the <sighs> show. Hello, Scott. Hello. How Hello, Jaren. Hello, Aaron. What's up, Scott? Howdy. Hi, howdy. Howdy, y'all. Yeah, Scott, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah. It's going well. I've been... I've been busy. Um, my daughter started preschool this week, um, which seems insane to me because she's just so little. There's no possible way she's already going to school. Yeah, it goes fast. It goes real fast, folks. And Contemplate slow. your mortality. Fast and while slow. While you can. <laughs> <laughs> This is good. This is good radio. This is great. <laughs> this is great stuff. So let's watch some Star Trek. Please contemplate your mortality while you. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um. Well, yes. Uh, for those who haven't, um, who are just like tuning into the show for the first time, um, as you may have gathered, Scott's one of our good friends from the good old college days uh, and is also an accomplished um, artist, painter, um, amongst Musician. many other things. Father. <laughs> Scholar. <laughs> Lava. A real renaissance man. Everyone. Y'all? Yeah. Um, last time we had you on, we watched Where No One Has Gone Before, uh, where we went down the rabbit hole of space and time and thought and drugs that was and fun <laughs> that was that really was fun, fun. Um, and i think we're gonna get a little taste of that in this one um too but before we get uh 
too much into the episode. Um, especially, in the, uh, you know, I brought you on for the last episode, particularly for all the metaphysical stuff. Um, cause I know what we've talked about before on the show, there's a lot of metaphysical exploration in your own art. And ever since I've known you, that's always been like, um, like a part of you and everything. And a lot of our, a lot of our discussions and talks and, you know, we've, we've talked about also before how we tend to wax philosophical. Oh, yeah. We'll start somewhere, but then we'll eventually it, <laughs> sift it, down that it's route. A, been a, it's been a long common thread yeah. for a long time. And I don't, you know, as, as long as I've known you, like I haven't thought about too much about this, but, uh, and I'm like, I don't know if I know this, like, I'm curious. So like where, as far as you can tell in your experience, where does that come from? Whether it be like an interest or a connection to, or like a passion for these kind of metaphysical explorations. Cause not a, everyone has that. It evolved naturally really without my thinking about it. Um, as I grew up, uh, I was born into the, uh, the LDS church here in good old Utah. Like many of us have. Like many here. of us. Um, and never really thought much about it, but my brother did. Uh, my brother, Kurt, uh, has a very interesting perspective on life and reality and has always had a mind that was able to ask questions where other people didn't ask questions. Um, and so as we grew up, uh, Curtis would, you know, ask me these questions like, do you really think about this? Do you, like, you go to this Sunday school and you hear the, the stories of the religion and you, uh, and you just you just go along with it because that's what everyone around you is doing and you want to make everyone happy. Um, and you love all those people, so you want to be together with them. And But it, he exposed in me really quickly that I didn't know what I was learning about. I, I had no understanding at all. It just was, it was something that I was accepting but didn't understand. Mm. Um, and there was a, a number of other things, uh, some dark times in our childhood when Curtis got real sick and uh, was was struggling in a bunch of ways that um, was really painful. And I think that pain combined with that curiosity uh, instilled a drive to ask why. I, why are why are things the way they are, um, and what what is the the truth at the bottom of it all? And I realized I had no idea. I th I felt somewhat misled, um, and I entered a long period of agnosticism, where I simply said I didn't know. I didn't rule out any possibility at all. Um, then as I got older, I got really depressed because I was a teenager and I was living in America. Um, so I was, I was miserable. Um, now I was having good times, but there was, I had some serious mental illnesses going on and the agnosticism was no longer sufficient to, uh, 
to find the strength to, you know, deal with all of that uh, constant pain. Um, and so I started, uh, I started looking. I, was, I really wanted to know where I could find some meaning that felt true, that felt uh, like it resonated with me and my heart. Um, and so I read uh, The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, um, and it made me feel good. I actually don't remember much about the book right now, but I remember a, just a, a feeling of calm coming over and a feeling of, of happiness that I was at least starting to explore this this area. And then I read the Tao Te Ching, and I, had, I didn't the slightest bit understand it, because um, I read it too fast. Um, and then I read uh, some other like books about Buddhism and uh, books about Hinduism and Taoism. And I found that it was, it had a, a vibrance and uh, a beauty and a practicality that I had found completely lacking so far. Um, and then as we discussed before, I, uh, I tried psychedelics for the first time. And my perception of reality changed uh, fundamentally. Um, and it wasn't I, in retrospect, it wasn't so much that the the psychedelic substance like made me turn on to these ideas or flipped a switch that wasn't there. Um, it was more like it confirmed what I was starting to suspect, um, but in a very visceral way. And an experience where, like, it's it's happening immediately to you and your body and your mind and there's there's no denying that uh, what's happening right in front of you it you can't ever go back you know once you've seen that kind of stuff it, it makes you wonder like well what the hell was that and what is actually going on and where where do the lines actually get drawn and it could be like we have no idea and we're completely wrong about most of them. Mm -hmm. So it's great when we look at something like Star Trek and they say like, oh, with enough mind power, you can time travel or you can, mm -hmm. you can teleport. And it's like, that's a fun idea, but it, like that might be true. So coming to our question from earlier that I asked Darren, um, what do you think? Do, we, do each of us exist in our own universe? Um, I, I thought you guys handled that one pretty brilliantly. Like, it was just like immediately wrapped it up in itself in a nice little package. It's yes and no for me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's both simultaneously. Yes, we're all, like, my thoughts and my senses and my brain compile sort of an image or a projection of the reality I find myself in. And there are limits to that. Mm -hmm. So there's those limitations define how much of reality I can experience. 
and it's that's probably different for everybody and so everyone's experience is going to be slightly different at least and so everyone has just their one perspective and no one else can ever really understand what it's like to be them in their universe mm. but at the same time it seems like we're all here occupying the same planet in one sort of spatial substrate uh, interacting with each other where our intentions and thoughts are kind of colliding with and uh, having to negotiate being in a, a crowd of a sea of other people's ideas and desires. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like that's also true. We're all just in one universe. Mm. If someday, you know, when science and technology, you know, gets to a point where we can do better investigating of some of these things, it would be interesting to see if we could get to a point where we could answer such questions and like, more or less definitively, it would be interesting to see if we could ever get to that. My guess is not in our lifetimes, but it is interesting to think if we could ever have answers to something like that. Um, but of course, um, Star Trek already has the answers um, to these things. Yeah, we've been given the answers <laughs> decades ago. Gene Roddenberry and Co. Oh, it's this. Oh, great. God, that uh, was the answer for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, we are watching Remember Me today. Um, this premiered October 22nd, 1990. Um, this is the fifth episode for the fourth season, so still fairly early in that season. Um, this is going to be our first episode focusing on Dr. Crusher. Um, so far on our podcast, we've only seen her in mostly like supporting roles as like the ship's doctor and Wesley's mom. She hasn't fe been featured too prominently in what we've watched so far. Yeah, that'll be one of the things we look at in this one. Crusher as an underutilized character um, and how she plays as the lead when it's her episode. Um, and this is also a classic example of Star Trek doing a big high concept um, episode. I don't think we've seen like a ton of these so far, but there's lots of them throughout the franchise. Um and that'll be fun to look at how the franchise handles these big sci-fi high concept episodes. Um, all right. Um, for those of you at home who are going to watch with us, um, Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 4, Episode 5, and we'll be back after we watch Remember Me. You never heard of any of them. You know, Doctor, I have been more than fair. 
I've done everything I can to substantiate your... your perceptions of Will a crew. Will Riker, your first officer. He's... he's very good at playing poker. Loves to cook. He, he, he listens to jazz music, plays the trombone. I cannot find any evidence of a Will Riker. Commander Data, the android who sits at ops. Dreams of being human. Never gets the punchline of a joke. Doctor, we'll be arriving at Starbase 133 in a few hours. Deanna Troy, your ship's counselor, half-betazoid, loves chocolate. The arrival of her mother makes you shudder. O'Brien, Geordi, Worf, Wesley, my son. They all have been the living, breathing heart of this crew for over three years. They deserve more than to be shrugged off, brushed aside, just pinched out of existence like that. They all do. They deserve so much more. Well, we just got done watching Remember Me. Um, In case you uh, haven't seen this one, didn't watch it with us, basically what happens in this one is that Dr. Crusher realizes that people are slowly disappearing in her life and on the Enterprise um, until the point where she's literally the only person left on the ship. Um, Turns out what's going on is that Wesley Crusher was conducting a warp bubble experiment in engineering and somehow she got pulled into it and she had this whole time has been existing in like a collapsing warp bubble universe of her own making Uh, because she was thinking she was she's talking with an old friend Dr. Dalen Quace and he's talking about like all the people in his life, he's lost his wife and everything. And she's thinking about loss. And so the universe she ends up getting popped into is where she's literally losing people by the minute. <laughs> um, wacky wild episode. Um, as always, we start with initial thoughts, Scott. Uh, it's so good. So it's good. such a good one. <laughs> I, uh, I love this one. It, uh, it's really scary to me. I feel like it's it's deeply scary. Um, it's it reminds me of the Twilight Zone. It's like something that Rod Serling would throw at you, where it's it's scary, not just monster coming at you, but the, it touches something like really deep. Yeah, um, existential horror. Yeah, it's some it's a deep existential horror, and then 
yeah i oh but it's so well done you you uh you get the hint you see it happen you see dr crusher disappear in the beginning but you don't understand what it is and then they read they they redirect you to think that it's about quace uh disappearing and about other people oh it's so good it's this is this is a particularly strong one in my opinion I, I agree. Um, really well done. Um, Aaron, initial thoughts coming off of Remember Me. So Beverly created the wide shots of the Enterprise leaving Starbase yeah. in her mind. <laughs> now, that, that is canon. <laughs> so what a mind. Um, it is quite scary. The, uh, the idea of the bubble collapsing, especially at the end when you see it on the screen, just how fast it's moving. It's like, oh, no. A sense of claustrophobia. It reminds me of there was an episode of the X Files where something similar happens, mm. where whatever space they're in is just it's more supernatural than like an extra dimension in space or something. But it's mm. like everything is disappearing. Or yeah, there's also the Langoliers. The Lang. I thought about the Langoliers yeah. just now as I was urinating. <laughs> the universe eating creatures yeah i was just like this mm. is sort of like that mm. a little bit well, the universe itself is just being erased mm. right from under your feet langoliers was scary until you found out yeah once you see the computer the effects yeah well i mean like just like like as soon as you discover what they are like you like the actual universe eating beings it's like oh okay well that's kind of but like experiencing that with the the flight crew as they're going through it. I feel like that's everything, you know, about that book. Mm. Just in general, this has a very like classic sci-fi high concept. Twilight Zone could do this. Star Trek course is, is doing it. Langoliers, DC, Con like it, it just has that classic high concept. Oh my God. Kind of story. And it's really fun. Um, I, I've always loved this one since I was a kid. Um, this was always one of my favorites every time I, I would watch it as a kid. And, um, you know, horror, we've talked about this uh, a little bit, um, but horror isn't my favorite genre. I don't dislike it. It's just not my favorite. I, generally, I don't find it very thought-provoking, and I like thought-provoking, even though I also like really not thought-provoking stuff. <laughs> um, but... The but I love Twilight Zone and that existential horror. It's not jump scares. It's not this. And I, I don't even know if this episode they necessarily play it as a horror. They kind of do, but but the situation is just so terrifying. And we were talking as we were watching this. It's like, could you imagine the what this would do to your mind if this were happening? Like if if suddenly everyone was disappearing and then you realize it's not just that, but the universe is collapsing in on itself and you are the only one who is aware of it. <laughs> oh, forget it. Forget it. <laughs> everyone around you too is like, Oh no, everything's fine. This yeah. is how it's always been. That's the worst part. Yeah. That's what really makes it disturbing is mm -hmm. if they were, cause there are plenty of other episodes where they get trapped in some sort of bubble and it's collapsing and it's going to blow everything up, but it's, doesn't like hit that same it's the fact that everyone else but her is just blank completely wiped oh it's horrifying 
horrifying. Yeah, that's almost the loneliest part is that uh, it, it, even with everyone disappearing, she's the only one who recognizes what's actually happening, and it just takes it to a whole different level. Yeah, and not even that people don't remember or don't, and therefore can't really feel the urgency of the situation. Like the universe itself has been wiped of evidence, so she can never prove it. Mm-hmm. She can't ever get out except by some other means, which yeah. we we realize later. But ooh, it just sends chills down my arms. To it, it's just scary. Yeah, feels very Twilight Zoney. I'm st- like the universe has sort of like twisted around on only me. Ooh. What if? What if time space has just reached out and just snapped somebody out of existence? They're gone. You know, it's funny. We've we said Twilight Zone. I, there's, I think there's an actual bit in Twilight Zone. Where like George is like, you remember that Twilight Zone where the guy wakes up and he's all by himself, <laughs> yeah. and Jerry's like, wasn't that every episode they're of all, Twilight? They're all that like that. <laughs> oh, it's spot on. It's spot on. But that's what's so scary. It mm. it it's oh I love it. it the isolation. The isolation. That the, the helplessness. Like when reality itself is the enemy. You forget you're done. Yeah. But she's not. She she wins in the end. She powers through. Or she through. escapes at least. Yeah. I think what even makes it, I think why this works, you could do this as an episode of any Star Trek show. I think one of the reasons why it works particularly well for Next Generation as I'm watching it this time we just watched it is, speaking to the isolation, it's like that TNG and we've talked about many times already now on the show is like this show is like about family and the TNG crew feels like this cozy family and they're all there for each other all the time, no matter what. So to see them just all losing, like her losing everyone and they're just like, what are you, what are you talking about? And like that, that moment she has where she has a kind of like, it's the closest thing she has to like an emotional or mental breakdown where she's trying to explain to Picard when it's just her and Picard that's left. And she's like, and she's like, Riker, he used to sit in this chair and he loved jazz and everyone loved and and data. And he, she's just going to everyone. She's like, they all deserve so much more than to just be wiped from existence. Like, mm. awesome. Awesome. Oh yeah. It's got a ton of heart. It's like really, it's cerebral and it makes you, makes you engage your intellect with weird sci-fi physics and time and space but in the end you're right it's just it's about love and it's about family and um about how you know how important it is to appreciate people while they're here Mm -hmm. and while you can oh such a good episode Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say it a bunch for real you really can't speak enough about what that would do to a person and she plays it so well yeah, you could okay, you like, could do this whole. I mean, I would. I think it would have to be a different show, of course. But you could do this idea, and really like go into the pathos of it. Where if you were, if I was actually in that situation, I would be shrieking and crying and like tearing my hair out and like just completely flipping out. Um, at least for a few minutes, and then I might 
be able to get back and get back to work investigating. Mm. But like, where we the very like the computer source is telling you what you, you your own memories are wrong that they never existed yeah. in the first place. It's wild. I, I hate and and then at the end, um, you know when she has emerged from this like nightmare. Um, and sees her son and her friends for the first time, and everything is still pretty reserved. Like, she has it gives like a nice happy hug, and they pat each other's back. You could also see that as being like, you know, sobbing with joy and grasping each other. I, it's, it's interesting that in TNG, you don't get to that level of pathos almost ever. Everyone is pretty disciplined, yeah, they're kind of stoic. It's um, all in Gates McFadden's eyes, though. Like she has moments of like total fear. Oh, yeah, and, it's great. Like you see that it's it's not a lack of fear. It's that mm-hmm. she is able to hold it together, strong, right. like with enough strength. She plays against it very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it's great. Um, on that note, I mean, it's a good transition to. So, like I said, this is our first Doctor Crush episode. We're kind of honing in on her for the first time. Um, how do we think she works as like the lead for this particular episode, like both the character and um, Gates McFadden? I uh, I bought it. I liked it. I didn't have any. I didn't really have any moments where I was like, oh, <laughs> like that did that really fell flat. I mean, any more so than you know, just watching the show in general. There's gonna be blips of that from just having existed in the 90s and mm-hmm. uh and things yeah i i thought she did great mm. um i think you could do this episode with literally any member of the cast and it would work yeah. um but i'm i'm down for some dr crusher do you gates think- mcfadden what a name gates mcfadden i love it do you think anyone else would have been better suited to this episode or like you said like you said i was thinking about that of like any this could have been about anyone um there is some tie in with like the wesley angle the wesley thing is um, important but even they still could have made this you know because they didn't necessarily have to go down the wesley route for this episode do you think this episode would have been better served by anyone or do you think dr crusher is the best choice for this one maybe jordy just because it, it naturally starts in engineering and ends in engineering, so mm. it, it could have been a Jordy episode. It could have been a Jordy episode. Mm. Also, I, not a super. He's down there toward the bottom in terms of characters they utilize, unfortunately. So, yeah, that would have been interesting. It it feels like a Troy kind of episode where, mm. uh, you know, it's in her mind and she's being tormented mentally and she's mm. running around and no one understands. I feel like there's some other episodes where that situation kind of unfolds in a different way. I feel like that could have worked. Um, I don't. I don't like. I don't think Riker would have been a good choice. Drop your shield. No. He's, he's too. He just turned seventy, by the way. Oh, hey, happy, happy birthday, birthday, happy birthday John. Yeah. Um, I guess originally, if I recall, this was initially thought of as a vehicle for data. But then I believe they pretty quickly steered away from that. And I think for the best, like, yeah. I don't think Data would... The existential terror would not have played at all with Data. He would be too dispassionate with this whole situation. Agreed. Yeah, he... 
bless his bless his tin heart and he doesn't have that family emotional human connection that mm. just comes with the, the territory for us mm-hmm. you'd have to spin it as like a Picard's gonna lose data episode mm. and the heartbreak that would happen for Picard losing yeah it feels like it. a smaller idea yeah. to me you know I I I think Crusher is the right choice for this like in a few in a couple things like she's the caretaker like of the people on the ship I mean so is Troy and like you said Troy could have worked though Troy brings up some interesting questions about I could see why they wouldn't want to do Troy because it's like and here's and he, so here's quick tangent question would Troy if she was in the situation would she sense emotions and feelings coming from how real is this universe? Like, are they actual like living beings mm. or are they just some sort of weird f- f- illusory fan? Like how real is this? Like it's an interesting question. It's an interesting. So I can see why not using Troy. They seem pretty real, but there's, they are only so real. I like the idea that it's, it's crusher's mind in particular, that's able to create this reality that's so vivid and so real. Mm-hmm that maybe someone else in the crew would have a much more vague, uh, uh, primitive or like a, a simpler reality. It would be much easier to figure out that they were not in like an actual pl- enterprise, right? Like a, a lucid dream or something. Interesting. Yeah. 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 With that, like, so I, I think Crusher is a good choice for a couple of reasons. One being like the caretaker of the people and like, her whole job is to make sure everyone's okay on the ship more or less. And so to see everyone losing to, to be losing everyone c- kind of heightens like it, it, the, the reality for her. It's like, Oh my, my crew, my people that I'm supposed to be. She specifically cares for the people. That's her whole job. So to see everyone disappearing like that, I think that's a, a good emotional connection. And then it really, this episode is so good at showing how fucking smart she is. They've really talked, shown how Wesley is this super genius. This one really kind of, I feel like, shows that's like maybe Wesley gets a lot of his smarts from her because, like you said, Scott, she's so level headed and she is able to keep it together and like, yeah, like you were saying, Aaron, like, you know, maybe there's this kind of lucidity she has that like, that makes it so real, but then you really see her like, and it's almost like a doctor diagnosing a problem. You just see how methodical and thoughtful she is. And it's so fun to see her like, even just beyond being a doctor, she's such a good problem solver. Just, she just figures it out. She's it's badass. Real, she's she's yeah, a total badass. It's really fun to see. I think. Um, yeah, I, I I think this episode is. I would hate to see anyone else doing this. I think this is best served actually by her, and I think this is actually my favorite Crusher episode. I can't um, think of a bit of one that would would compete. N- no, Picard season three. There you go. The ultimate Crusher episode. One big giant like Crusher episode. <laughs> she is pretty prominent in that Picard season three, which makes sense because of her connection with Picard. Um, you know, uh, here's a question I I have. Um, this it's a big high concept episode. Um, 
do we think this does a good job of using the high concept to kind of talk about or like look at anything or is it more concerned just with the concept itself? What do you guys think? It's, it's heavy into the concept. I think for the most part, it leaves uh, the artistic interpretation up to the viewer. Mm. I think they were just trying to go for this, the, the very literal story that they were trying to tell. Mm. And yes, like they like they played with a cool idea of the pocket universe, yeah. but they left that to you to think about after the episode was over, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I I agree. I I think that it does a very good job of staying balanced between just the suspense of the it the, the story and the situation but also it does touch a little bit on some some metaphysical abstract concepts traveler shows up of course and mm-hmm. talking about and uh thoughts becoming things is like a very prominent idea that makes the whole that's kind of underlying the whole episode um but they don't they don't belabor it at all. It's it's just mm-hmm. in there enough to to make you think about it, like Aaron said. Um, but I was I was thinking more about your question of how real is this universe. Mm-hmm. So we know for a fact that Beverly and only Beverly was snatched up in a warp bubble and kind of phased out of normal space normal space time, and that she creates this scenario where everyone's she's losing everyone and everything because she was thinking about loss um so doesn't that mean that it has to be some sort of isolated projection of crusher's consciousness rather than any quote-unquote real people involved um I mean, this is an interesting question because, you know, earlier at the beginning, we're talking about how, you know, if you zoom out of the universe, it almost looks like a neuron, you know? And so you could, you could make the, you could argue it's like, did she, is it all that different from how the universe, I mean, not to say some fit like entity is thinking the universe, but who knows? Might be. Might be. Um, Yeah. So it's like, is it so different? It's like, you know. It's 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 an interesting question. It's like, is it is she living in a in a in the hard solipsistic universe, or is even in this universe, is there some experience happening? I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, it's it's hard to probe how real this is, but it's like everyone is acting more or less how they should. Like, they're responding to her in ways that seems like she's not involved in or wouldn't mm-hmm. j- necessarily just imagine them doing that they have some sort of they have they have some sort of existence right she's not like but when they're gone they're gone for everybody and everything in the universe yeah like they never were well which is interesting an idea just because uh, it's a pocket universe it's a completely separate or it's it's its own universe yeah it it is 
that is what is real for that universe. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with what's going on with ours. Different rules, different everything. So in that case, it's every bit as real as ours, but it's being affected in a different way. Her, her idea of loss kind of created the physics of this little snapshot, right? I also have to wonder, because um, it was a warp bubble, so it was probably like behaving and going to collapse on its own regardless of what Crusher thought of it, maybe. It seems like that's like a phenomenon that's happening, and maybe as it's collapsing, like her mind uh, fills in gaps with ways to make it make sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like you could almost look at it because it's like, you know, people disappearing and then it's revealed that the universe is shrinking. It could be that the people disappearing is it has nothing to do with the universe shrinking. That is like coming from her own thoughts. But in addition, the universe itself is collapsing and shrinking in on itself. So it it could be it could be the, like uh, extension of the same thing or it could be a different thing. Like again, they don't really they leave it a lot up to your interpretation about what this was, like what any of this <laughs> means. If they could replicate it all and get Beverly back into the pocket universe and then snatch her right back out again, right at the beginning, mm. do you think that universe would just disappear the moment that she jumped back into the our space time? Or do you think it would shrink and they could observe it and watch people disappear slowly over time? How much of it was like a projection of her mind and how much of it would be exist on its own after is, she created it? Is she it? likes continually generating it or does she just like, cause this, the warp bubble is going to exist whether or not she was in it, but it's like, was her inflection into it? What gave it like its form? She's and the would observer. That continue? Yeah. Is, is she the only observer? I think is what we're, we're asking is, are any of these other people actually observers in this universe or is is Crusher the actually the only observer and yeah. everyone else is just an illusion? I think she is the only observer because she is the only one that retains memories of the one the people that are disappearing. And she was the only one trapped in the warp bubble. Like it didn't trap a bunch of people. Just her. It was just her, so there's no reason to believe that a bunch of other people would also be in the warp bubble. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I and it. I guess it's plausible when you think about it that your mind could create like a a reality like that if you've been in that environment and with those people for years and years. Your mind has expectations of what's going to happen when you walk onto the bridge and say this or that to Picard. It could come up with a a believable response, and you might never think twice about it, even if it was really just you. Well, you know, on that. On that note, Scott, um, now this is speaking more just kind of like, uh, you know, looking at Star Trek, but this isn't exactly a follow-up to the last episode you were here for where no one has gone before, but it is kind of a, a companion piece of yeah, sorts. the Traveler is back. Yeah, you mentioned the Traveler shows up. This also delves more in, a little more into like Wesley's destiny and to like probing the the secrets of the universe and thought and space and engineering and time and um they both kind of speak to similar things like 
again, the traveler shows up. It's like, yeah, her thoughts are creating this like reality. And where no one has gone before was much more like explicit in its themes about that. Where here it's it's tied into, but it's more about solving the problem. How do you think this works as like a companion piece to that one? I, I think it's really nice. It's kind of surprising that it becomes a companion piece. It, it seems like uh, it is only sort of a companion piece. Right. It feels, yeah, it feels like a, a cameo rather than a sequel. Right. Um, he shows up to help save the day, but it's not really about him at all. No, it's not about him, and they probably could have done it with just Wesley or something like that. Or, yeah. um, But I think it's great, because any time you can plug that sort of thing into something, I feel like it makes it more... It hits deeper. Yeah. It seems like maybe they had long-term plans for the Traveler and Wesley's character even early on mm. where they wanted that arc to go. Mm-hmm. So this is them like inching towards that, you know, taking the first steps. Yeah. This is the first time they revisit it since that pretty early season one episode. That's one of the really early ones. And this is now season four, like midway through the show. Only now are they just getting back to it. Um, yeah, that's a long time. Big gap. Um, yeah. I guess originally the, in the original drafts, it was more along the lines of like a, it was all a dream for lack of a better term. But they're like, this is just not satisfying. It's got to be. But then they had they had been meaning to bring the traveler back for a while, and they're like, and and season four, they're like, we can't, this season we have to bring him back. So just keep him in the back of your head. And I think there was like, oh, what if, what if it has something to do with the traveler? And I think that's what sparked. They're like. Yeah, maybe that's, yeah. there's a little pocket bu- warp bubble universe with Wesley in it. We can, so. Well, yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll make it work. It, I feel like it does work. Um, is it the the strongest possible companion piece to where no one has gone before? Probably not. I feel like this its strengths, it's an excellent episode, but not at all for those reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's more about the mystery. The first one was much more concerned with like the cosmicness of it all. And this one had big monologues about there's thoughts that can propel you so far across Mm. the universe and the power of, they really like sunk into it. And this one, uh, they they hit it pretty hard in some key moments. Um, When the traveler shows when, up, when the traveler shows up, Crusher is all alone, saying like, "Thoughts become things. I've got to figure it out by, you know, I'm projecting this universe through my thoughts." Mm. Shit, so they they hit that pretty hard, which I guess is without the traveler, there's no way out of that. No. Yeah, she was done without the traveler, pretty much. Right, she gets there herself like, as far as she can go, but Q could do something about it. Yeah, uh, you could make up some new thing to come in and and make and do something about it. But I think I think it's good. I sort of wish that there was a little more focus on the traveler, mm. but there's no space for it at all. Mm-mm. It is fun to see the traveler show up again. So I do like seeing him, and we can kind of. 
continue that through line a little bit. Um, this whole people disappearing thing was going to be a subplot for the episode family, which would have been a couple episodes before this. That's the one where Picard goes back home after the Borg thing, reconnects with his family. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's no sci-fi stuff in that one. And there was concern. It's like, we've got to do some sci-fi thing. So there was originally going to be a subplot with people disappearing on the Enterprise. But then they were like, this doesn't work we, This has to all. be its own episode. Right. These these things are need to be their own. Let's just do a whole episode about Picard reconnecting with his family and the trauma. And then let's do a whole episode about people disappearing on the Enterprise. It's like, yes. <laughs> that would have been too much. Um and I guess um, Gates McFadden did all of her own stunts for this episode. Um, that's all her. Um, when she, so there's the stunt where like oh, she's on the bridge and she gets yanked toward the, the the vortex that's trying to pull her out of the universe. And um, she did a couple like pretty hard rough and tumble stuff in this. Shortly after doing that, she learned that she was pregnant. <laughs> oh, fun! <laughs> Yay! Um, oh, wow. But just another shout out to Gates McFadden. I think some of that's because she used to be like a dancer and everything. So she can do some of that physical. I know she's got her her tap shoes. In those, just in case. In her quarters. <laughs> Triple Broadway threat. comes to Colin. <laughs> Triple threat. Um, all right. Um, Scott, any final thoughts on Remember Me? I love it. Like, it just hits so many levels all at once it, it, you've got the cosmic you've got the cosmic big high concept uh abstract intellectual stuff that you can just geek out about and ponder over it's got suspense and horror as the bubble is shrinking in around her and she's running down the hall and no one remembers and it's just spooky how how she's all alone and the universe is turned hostile in this weird way. Um, but And then it's just, it makes you remember to love more. Mm. Like, you leave the episode being like, I need to call my mom and tell her how oh much God. I appreciate her. <laughs> I need to, I need to, you know, be a better friend. And I need, I need to spend time with the people be there for them i think anything that makes you just like genuinely inspired to feel like that is a is awesome that's hard to make something like that that isn't cheesy or saccharine Saccharine, yeah yeah (laughs) i agree yeah what more can you ask for it's good and it made me call my mom (laughs) thank you star trek thank you star trek um Aaron, final thoughts on Remember Me. Oh, great episode. Great job, Gates McFadden, leading the charge. Taking the show away from Patrick Stewart for once. Yeah. Um, he's always so great, but I, it is fun to see when, you know, when the other characters get to be the star. It, it always gives every episode a different flavor, which I like. Um, well, I will thank you for coming on, Scott. Um, I always love having you come on and going down the cosmic rabbit hole it's with so you. much fun <laughs> thanks for inviting me over to hang out and watch star trek of course it's uh it's good for the soul mm, little star trek for the soul um we will definitely be sure to have you on in the future again right. future. um 
Well, thank you for listening, everyone at home. Um, we hope you like that one. I always like that one. Um, next week, um, we're not going to be watching a Dr. Crusher episode. We're going to be watching an episode featuring everyone's favorite bearded first officer who likes to lean on things, Commander Riker. <laughs> Riker. Riker. We're getting a Riker episode next time. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. Um, we're going to be watching Future Imperfect. Um, and we will have a new friend on to talk about that one, that, that one with us. So should be a good time. Yay, new friends. Yay, new friends. Speaking of new friends, we're up quite a percentage from listeners in last week. Yeah. So S- thanks for joining sure. us. Slowly but surely. All right, everyone. Um, next week, Future Imperfect. Um, until then, we will see you all, hopefully not in a rapidly shrinking pocket universe. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com, or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.